Welcome to the Tenant Podcast. I'm Todd Pearson here with my friend and partner, known to many as quite possibly the most interesting man in the world, the one and only Wes Brown. Hey, Todd, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Coming straight from you still from Enchantment Road. The Road of Enchantment. (laughs) Not to be mistaken. Land of Enchantment. Land of Enchantment. Right. But uh, like I said, maybe New Mexico's in my future. I think anybody could listen to last week. I think so. when you do your road trip here in November and you come back through New Mexico, you'll be sold on New Mexico. There we go. There we go. And then you'll be just as far away from me as you are currently, but just south. Right. The weather will be nicer it coming will be up nicer. in a few months. Uh, oh my God. Not looking forward to winter. It'll probably be nasty. So a couple of things. We had a big old fire in North of Rapid. Do you hear about that? No. no? I've been off yeah. the grid for like Uh-oh. three days. Yeah. Big old grass fire. I don't think we lost any buildings, thank God. And then uh, South Dakota made big headlines about um, if you're a billionaire and you want to kind of hide some money into a trust, this is the place to be because we got really, really tight secretive laws that nobody can find out. So if you're a billionaire and you're listening, first of all, share some money with us and uh, then uh, hide the rest in South Dakota. I'll help. I know a couple lawyers. We can help set it up. So there you go. That's an interesting tidbit. <laughs> you were talking about it before we got on and started yeah. recording and um, had no idea. Yeah, there's good a, for you, South Dakota. Yeah. Way, yeah. To, way to keep on pushing the. the <laughs> so uh, it'd just be interesting if it's like drug lords too, because I would imagine they're the ones that want to hide money. And then, you know, your occasional Chinese billionaire. So, and Shakira, I guess. So there you go. Shakira. That's yeah, right. You, I don't you know. did mention her. Yeah. So that was in the news. So it's nothing new for people that read the news. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to make a, a comment real quick before you we do that. On it. Um, we kind of hammer on your home state a little we bit, do. <laughs> a lot of times, but let's get something straight right now. I love South Dakota. My wife's from South Dakota. So obviously I love it, have a lot of family and then obviously friends in South Dakota, but South Dakota is a fantastic state, despite some of the politics and I know sometimes we get a little political and we hammer on them. South Dakota is a really, really nice state. And there are some great people that come from South Dakota. Yeah, it's great places and great faces. And, you know, just like they say. So, yeah, we hammer on it. But I love it here. You know, I was just up at the hills the other day and it takes you two minutes to get up there and and great fishing and hunting. And, yeah, it's a great place to be. So no hurricanes, no big natural disasters. Other than if Yellowstone blows, we're toast. But um, we'll see if the big cauldron blows anytime soon. After last year, it might. So you give me a call if that happens. Kind of. I will. All right. My, my last call will be to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk some art. Or uh, we should, some. but I can, I can hear my wife already complaining. Is that Wes? Why is he calling you? If Yellowstone is blowing up right now, why is he calling you? Uh, it's been fun, Todd. That's what I'll be saying. <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, hanging in here with us. Thank you for joining us tonight. And remember, you can always find out what we're up to via our social media on Instagram at Tenant Podcast and our Tenant Podcast Facebook page. And of course, you can always find out more information and deep dive into our archives on our website, tenantpodcast.com.
All right. Tonight, we're honored to talk with our next guest. He specializes in dimensional fine art photography and uses his own patented process to create his masterpieces. Welcome to the program, Howard Harris. Howard, how are you? Greetings. I'm doing well. In fact, I was just in Santa Fe last week. That's right. I called you up and you were in Santa Fe. How was it? It was wonderful. Weather was great. People were great. Food's great. And... I took the wrong turn and it took me eight hours to drive back to Denver. <laughs> so but you other than that, it was fine. <laughs> so did you see something you'd never seen before? Well, I saw it a long time ago. I saw the uh, Royal Gorge and all those crazy little shacks that that are still hippiedom, if you will, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, living off the grid, except for a couple that I saw some lines going to. But that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, I just love Santa Fe. It's a great place to go visit and hang out. And wish I could afford to live there. That's a beautiful place, though. It is. It is. I was there for my cousin's 100th birthday party. Wow. That's, yeah, wow is right. (laughs) That's one you don't miss. (laughs) Right, right. That's awesome. Well, that was great. Also had a great time talking to some of the galleries that I was once in in Santa Fe. Uh, very interesting. Their art scene is coming back somewhat. It's kind of spotty, but it's nice to know that people are actually going to galleries again and moving around. But New Mexico makes it really easy on them. I've never seen so many masks in any one place, including Denver. So congratulations to New Mexico for doing what you can do to keep everyone safe and the art economy moving. Yeah. When I went through New Mexico last, I, my daughter lives in Arizona. So I drove through Farmington, uh, New Mexico, and we spent the night there and it was August of last year. So it was, they had it pretty well tightened down and we were able to get something to eat. We sat outside, but yeah, everybody was masked up. The cleaning people were cleaning rooms that they had seals on the door you know, they, they really went the extra mile. So yeah, that was it good. Was, it was heartening to see that. I, I wish the rest of the country <laughs> took their lead. Yeah, right. It would be nice if there was some kind of uh, an overall sense of uh, doing the right thing in all places that you go. And, and um, yeah, I agree. Exactly. Hey, before we get started, I want to direct our listeners to uh, Howard's website. It's H Harris photo.com it's h h a r r i s photo.com check out his work there and you can find him on instagram at howard harris photo art so as you're listening you can scroll down and check out some of his work and images howard where does this journey with art begin for you at what age did you really decide that you wanted to be an artist or that you wanted to engage with art well It was very early on, somewhere around nine or 10 years old, if you will. I started thinking that art was something that I wanted to do. I have no idea why I I was thinking that, but it just, it was a passion that just started coming out. Uh, I took some art classes with some illustrators. I drew a fox in one of my art classes very early on and the 
instructor just cracked up because the tail of the fox looked like it was exploding out of the rear end of the fox. And that was kind of the end of my, my illustration career. <laughs> then I said, well, if I can't draw worth a damn, maybe I can use a camera. And so I started using cameras uh, at a very early age. And uh, people seemed to like what I photographed. And that just kind of kept going. So doing that with sculpture and a little bit of painting, although paintings that uh, were not realistic, of course, unless you like foxes with exploding rear ends, <laughs> <laughs> which evidently I liked it, but <laughs> they didn't like it. And that, that's kind of where it started. And then it kept going from there. Uh, through high school, I found I was lucky enough to find a instructor or a facilitator named Mark Zamantakis, who was a pretty famous potter in this region. And he just let me do what I wanted to do. So between bronze casting and ceramics and whatever, I just put together whatever I wanted to. And that led to me going to art school. So... Kansas City Art Institute was my destination uh, above a lot of other schools. A, a disclaimer though, I happen to be a trustee on their board right now at the Kansas City Art Institute. So I will fearlessly plug that school. <laughs> uh, found some great, great people there and they kind of helped me move along in the art world, finding out what it meant to take a photograph without seeing dollar signs in the lens before I shot. And that was kind of interesting. Uh, that was a, a, big, a big change for me. Uh, and that's sort of where it happened and kept going. I then moved to get my master's degree at Pratt Institute in marketing and design. And that launched me into a very strange situation, more of which that you see now through my art, uh, because I, I minored in Eastern philosophy, and that really twisted me around because I was totally a Westernized Newtonian uh, logic type of person, and that moved me towards a Eastern, uh, a more of an Eastern point of view. I won't say philosophies because there's a bajillion of them uh, and meeting with a number of physicists in New York I started looking looking into or studying chaos theory and quantum physics and that absolutely twisted my brain to the point where it was almost ready to explode so that's kind of my path in art spending 25 years doing design for others. Uh, one can sometimes people say that's art, but basically I was a designer and I define design is that which you do for others and fine art is that what you do for yourself. So after leaving that career, I rewired myself into fine art and that's where I am right now. Sort of a long-winded explanation. <laughs> no, that was that was awesome. perfect. But that's who I am. 
So were you were you one of these kids because you took to photography pretty early and um, obviously came up shooting film? Did you have your own dark room and that sort of thing growing up? Yes, I did. I had well, I had my own dark room probably around high school age, uh, and it was a very modest dark room, something that I scratched together through whatever I can save by working Saturdays and Sundays and whatever I could do to do it. And then uh, in college, I got a job basically being a documentary photographer for the Hall's department stores. Oh, wow. There I was able to put together a nicer dark room. Not super great, but my whole apartment uh, became a dark room. Literally, uh, my refrigerator contained more film and Velveeta than anything else. <laughs> the reason <laughs> I had Velveeta is because it never goes away. <laughs> it stay there forever. <laughs> Probably found it in a bomb shelter, and <laughs> it's still the same as it's been. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, film was it. I was developing like 36 rolls at a time in my canisters with chemistry. So, I mean, it was, it was some serious stuff. It helped put me through college. Let's put it that way. Yeah. My, my, my parents paid for tuition, room and board, and I paid for everything else. So that was sort of the, the photo realm. Although the art teachers never really liked my photographs. I think I was in the 70s or, early, or late 60s. Photography was, it was a pretty frowned on art form. Uh, I can't say that it was not looked at as an art, but it was looked at as, oh, yeah, you do photography kind of thing. It was sort of a sidebar, unlike the foxtail that didn't dissuade me from keeping up photography. <laughs> I, I went on from there through you know, graduate school and the like. Uh, and then when digital cameras came around and my darkroom became my computer, that was like nirvana. I mean, oh my God, look what I can do. <laughs> so, and that was, that was a lot of fun. So, do you ever miss shooting film? Only when I see Ansel Adams prints <laughs> or Weston's prints, I do miss film because there's some qualities that you really have to work very hard to, to get digitally. But other than that, no, I don't. The, what I found with, on the digital side is although I'm absolutely enamored with call it the darkroom masters like uh, Ansel Adams and, and the like, the techno wizardry you can do on a computer, those guys would look at and just freak. <laughs> Literally, it's like, how the hell could you do something like that with a camera? <laughs> you know, so uh, I think there's there's pluses and minuses. It'd be nice to see one of them come back and take a look at what's going on right now and, you know, see what they think. Because they were some pretty heavy-duty thinkers of their time. Uh, and that, that was kind of, it's kind of nice if you read about them and what they did and what they thought about. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like, yeah. I enjoy it, but don't miss it. 
Yeah, I think they would embrace it. I think people like Ansel Adams especially would would totally like jump full full bore into it and and push the limits like what you're doing. They he he would just be pushing the limits of it, I think. Without a doubt, especially on his architectural photography. It'll probably just it probably just blow his mind doing it. Yeah. That's where he really shined was in the dark room and and creating, you know, prints. You know, well, he I mean he shined in everything. I mean, he had a great eye, great eye for composition. He knew how to manipulate the camera ahead of time. And, you know, and then his post-production stuff was amazing. His post-production was absolutely amazing. And his his tenacity with the camera, schlepping it all over the place to do what he did, is just boggles my mind. I mean, I guess I guess we're the weak generation where I'd need a Sherpa to do what he did. <laughs> I don't think I could take it. <laughs> Especially Weston, what he did in the mountains. I mean, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I love his stuff, too. His stuff is amazing. Yeah, very much so. So obviously, you like those two guys. Who, who are some of your other favorite photographers? My favorite photographers are generally the ones I see at the time. Uh, I mean, there's, there's all the big names that everybody knows. You know, I like them. I'm enamored with them. Uh, I think they do great work. There's some, like a Diane Arbus and whatever, that somehow shines uh, beyond, you know, beyond the, the image itself. But I can't say that I, I really love a lot of photographers, mainly because I enjoy what they do. And I enjoy the images and I'm not knocking them by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're, they're fantastic uh, from wildlife photographers, like a current John Fielder, who's does a lot of Colorado. I mean, it's just fantastic photography, fantastic, you know, compositions and the like, but to single on, on a bunch of them out, often to a lot of people means that I want to emulate them or I want to be just like them. And early on when I rewired myself after being a designer, I decided, gee, the world needs another photographer like they need another left arm. <laughs> and I said, okay, so what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to outshoot you know, these dozens of, of photographers that, you know, I drool over all the time from the ones you see in National Geographic to the ones that you see in the birding magazines and the like. I mean, my God, how can you do any better? I could do the same and I can do things maybe a little differently, but, you know, I'm not going to out photography them and I'm not going to out, out shoot those guys. What I needed to do is to find a path that uses the technologies available to try to describe an image that in my brain or what I see, because just a small part of, the, of what you look at through your eyes is there the bigger part of what you see is in your brain. 
And what you see behind your eyes is often far more important than what you see with your eyes. And that's where I try to focus, it's a weird word I hate to use now, focus on, on, cre on the creations that I, that I try to make, uh, like the one behind me. If I was to tell you that the base image for this was a large yucca plant that I photographed in Santa Fe, would you believe it? No. It no. was. Basically, it was. <laughs> so that's how I viewed the yucca is this is this kind of, you know, hyperspace, you know, plant that kind of drew you in and you know, if you shook around in it a lot, it probably cut the hell out of you. But <laughs> that's what I saw. That's what I felt. Uh, that's what I felt beyond the vision of the yucca plant. And I'll move a little bit. These are the prawns of the yuccas that you see coming through. I know that doesn't work too well on radio, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the, the yucca plant. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can see it now that you pointed out, but you know, all the different colors and everything, you know, that's, that's on top of it or, you know, part of it is so, I mean, it's so digital, you know, and it really has a digital feel to it. So it's really, really cool. And you are doing stuff that I've never seen before. And I, I look at a lot of art. I look at a lot of photography, but your stuff is completely unique from anybody else I've seen. Well, the good news is, is I get that comment an awful lot. The bad news is, is I'm going to buy that crap because I've never seen it before. <laughs> so, you know, one hand giveth and the other hand rips it away, <laughs> so to speak. But that's what I'm trying to do. And as I, uh, I I'm fortunate enough to be a fine artist. Uh, that does art for what I want to do, as opposed to what the general public wants to do. And that's kind of the big difference between me and so much you see in galleries. I mean, so much you see in galleries. Well, I had a show in New York, and unbeknownst to me, uh, I was explaining my work to an art critic, and... It was a gallery that had a lot of lot of nice, nice images. I mean, it was a specialized show. And the critic was talking to me a little bit, and I didn't know he was an art critic. He looked at my work and he said, This is art. And I looked at him like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to say after that. He says, he said, everything else I see in this gallery is are just decorations. Hmm. Those were all made for decorators to buy. This is art. And that, you know, is one of those kind of moments that just have, has branded on my brain that, yeah, someone out there kind of gets it. And as long as there's one, there might be two. Might be the only two in the world. But. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think kind of the difference would be like what he was saying is people buy some art just to hang on their wall or maybe to collect to maybe sell in the future. But what he's seeing in your stuff is more 
apt to be collected by like a museum or something like that, where it's appreciated for bigger than just like, it's a pretty picture hanging on my wall. Exactly. Uh, that's how I, that's how I hoped I could take it. But to tell you the truth, it took me, it took me a while to understand what he actually said. And I, I was, you know, in a gallery in an opening scene where there's a lot of people and you're, expected to, you know, smile and talk to everybody and everything else. I, I honestly didn't understand exactly what he said, but I'd be very flattered if he meant what you just said, <laughs> literally. Although uh, two museums have actually shown my work. One of them has purchased one. So if you're ever in uh, South Korea, you can see one of them in a museum. <laughs> but what the hell, you know, they spelled my name right. So that's okay. <laughs> that's a star, right? <laughs> Get the name right. Yeah. And I have another piece in a museum showing in uh, Northern Tuscany right now. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it kind of, it keeps me going in terms of not that I'm on the right path, but I, because I have no idea what that is, but I'm on a path that, as you said, no one's seen before. And as long as I stay in that realm, uh, honestly, I feel very comfortable. So doesn't mean I'll do the same thing all the time, but uh, I will feel good about what I'm producing. What you do is really unique. And I agree with Wes, like I've never seen the kind of work that you do, which gets me excited as a photographer. Um, is it hard for people that are non-photographers to wrap their head around what you do? Or is it universal as far as like people, people generally just like it because it's so unique? Well, whenever I'm at an opening, I can always tell a photographer talking to me, because the first thing out of his mouth is, how'd you do that? <laughs> and you know, I'll explain to him how I did it. Uh, I, I don't think they quite understand, but you know, they walk away saying, oh, <laughs> type of thing. There, there's a number of people who really love what I do. I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of gallery people love what I do, although I preface that by saying, well, at least I've sold more than Van Gogh did while he was alive. <laughs> you know, that right. type of thing. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you've seen it on my website, but there's a number of critics that wrote some extraordinarily flattering things about me that uh, are kind of embarrassing to, to read, to tell you the truth. And I generally write them back and I say, you know, I just hope I can live up to, to what you think I'm doing <laughs> you know, is really what it amounts to. So I, I, it, it feels nice. It's, you know, it's, it's the affirmation of, you know, I'm not just taking another photograph and that's sort of what I want to do. Although it'd be nice to sell a little more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't mind that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning when you're talking about what your, you know, your photography 
what it looked like in the 60s, 70s or whatever and what people thought about it. I, you know, I, I think photography's always been kind of the redheaded stepchild of the art world and it's a little bit harder of a sell, right? Because people look at photographs and they can appreciate it, but they also think, well, you know, I have a digital camera. I could, I could probably do something like that. I mean, that's the mindset. I think sometimes it's not like a painter where they're envisioning them in their studio and they're spending hours and days and months on a painting, you know, that's where I would say uh, if there was still film and that was the only way you can shoot as opposed to everybody carrying a camera in their back pocket right now or purse, <laughs> depending on how it goes. Uh, yeah, it would be different. But my first, the very first show I did was in the early 70s and that was all film. And most of it was black and white. Uh, and there were a number of straight photographs. But essentially what I did was set up large environments using a black and white image to set the backgrounds, the foregrounds, and the inner and the user experience such as I had a, like a 12 foot by 50 foot mural of people on a playground and everything else. And I had set up like a real sandbox and I had real photographs, three-dimensional photographs of kids in the sandbox. And as people went by and were talking, the kids talked to them and there were some on swings and there were some little doggies that barked occasionally. So. I mean, I was always doing something different. And that exhibit was called Popsicle People because they were photographs of people from the top, bottom, and all sides, full-size, full-size people, and laminated to a rectilinear shape, uh, the size of the person. So wow. and that, that showed in New York also. So... I had some success on the non-digital side also because uh, I was nuts and did all that stuff. But it, it also shows that just taking a picture was never enough for me. And that was the beginning of my dimensional quest. And currently I, I am, or when I rewired myself, I said, how can I, take a photograph and help it gain dimension or gain life through a simple image, as opposed to using lenticular, you know, gimmicks and printing and that type of thing, or using your kind of your billboard, you know, look at it one side, it's one thing, look at the other side, it's another thing. How do you get away from that sort of uh, let's just say techno overlay and put something very simple on that people can understand or relate to, or at least deal with. That's what I tried to do. And evidently I did it well enough to get a patent where no one's ever seen it before. So the patent office said, Hey, here you are. You no, know, thank you. 
my attorney loves me because his kids now go through college. <laughs> and, and off we go. So talk about this patent and, and how this all came about. Like, what was the seed? What was the, the catalyst for that? Because that's an arduous process. Very arduous. In fact, this was, I've already gone through the patent process once, not through photography, but uh, when I was a designer, I did display work. And I went through a whole patent process to get a little take one box patented. Uh, I did that because somebody was suing me because I would, they thought I was infringing on their patents. So I said, okay, I'll show you. This is something different. The patent office was the judge. So I knew, I knew it was an arduous process. But uh, I, I did an art show uh, or, or a festival type show. It was the Cherry Creek Arts Festival. And a whole bunch of attorneys just kept coming up to me and telling me, you know, they've never seen anything like this. I should patent it. You know, this is amazing. You should patent it. You should patent it. So I said, okay, you know, I'll check it out. And I did. And it was fairly straightforward process uh, in the beginning. And then the patent officer, because it's art, which is something they really don't patent, uh, had bajillions of questions and bajillions of hours and bajillions of dollars later, uh, all the questions were answered and presto, there's a patent. It was about a three, four year process. So it's not for the faint of heart, nor is it for someone who doesn't uh, want to jump into a money pit, basically, <laughs> to get it. Because attorneys, attorneys, I wish worked like artists. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they seem to have a ticker every time you call them. <laughs> you know, bam, here's the clock running. <laughs> yep. But it, it was nice. Uh, it's a nice little marketing shtick that I've got. Uh, it's kept a lot of people away from it. Uh, I'd say as much because they can't figure out how the hell it's being done uh, as opposed to, you know, gee, here's a piece of plexiglass. I'm going to put an image on it and then I'm going to put an image under it. You know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there. Maybe not a lot, but that is out there. Yeah. But working with the concept of uh, human vision particularly parallax and working on the, uh, I'll, I'll use the word algorithm, but that's really too big of a word in terms of the spacing and the size and the uh, positive negatives that I achieve uh, is really where people have tried and just, they don't understand it because it is a, it is based in, in, in pure physics. And I wish I could say I didn't quite understand it. I really don't, but I know how to manipulate it. So, you know, I may not know how a pipe wrench is made, but I can sure use it around a piece of pipe. <laughs> <laughs> so go in, if you would, a little bit more detail about what this is all about. Well, the patent, most of the images I produce have a singular aluminum surface. Then what I do is, as part of the patent, is the process of 
taking that image that's on the surface, altering that image, again, part of the process patent, and then the exact spacing between the, let's say the acrylic image where the acrylic is actually printed directly by a, a inkjet printer on the backside of the acrylic and using standoffs uh, shows itself, you see that before you see the image. And then where it gets a little bit complex is when you're looking at the image, you're actually looking, depending on the type of piece that I do, I'll just keep it easy with aluminum. You're actually looking through the clear piece of acrylic, the image on the acrylic, the coating on the aluminum, and then the sublimated print underneath it. So you've actually got four lenses that you're looking through that's changing what your eye sees and how you manipulate that together to create dimension is basically what the patent is about. <laughs> so, yay, everyone goes to sleep now. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the effect that it has when you view one of these images, um, it changes the way it, it looks, the perspective of it as you, as you move as you around move, it. As you walk by, it's, a, it's, I can't say it's completely different, but at, let, if, you, if you're walking by, let's just say a flower in a garden, the, the view you have of that flower changes as you walk by. It's the same thing that happens on my prints. As you walk by, it changes. As the lighting, let's say if you've got perfect gallery lighting, it looks different than if you put it in your home and you have variable lighting situations. Each different lighting situation will give you a little different view of the image. So the image itself, it, it may be too strong a term, but the image is alive. It, it's not static. Where if you, and this is one of the reasons people freak out on, on what I'm doing and what they don't like, is if they buy a painting, that painting is the painting no matter where they put it. It may be too dark, it may be too light, it may be, well, it's better with the light on or what have you, but wherever they look at it, the painting's the painting. Or a photograph's a photograph. Mine, you look at it and it's like, okay, everybody in the room is seeing something a little different. In fact, one uh, early commission that I did was a landscape for a large conference room. And the reason they wanted that image is because everybody at that huge conference table sees something a little differently. And it was something to kind of wake everybody up as to what they were looking at. I mean, after a while, people understood it, but the first time they come in there, it's like, Whoa, you know, as you walk, as you're walking and sitting down, it looks different when I stand up, it looks different when I sit down. 
And that's kind of where what I try to do is I try to help people's mind see through their eyes what their eyes really don't want to see because their eyes are telling them through all of their, let's just say through all of their inhibitions and through all of their training, you know, quote, what you see is what you get. Well, on my work, what you see is what you get occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to, you know, change your position. It'll be different. (laughs) You know, it's different each time. It's kind of fun. And that's what, that's what I really, you know, if I say if there's anything I love about what I do, I love to see kids' expressions when they go up and see it. It's this kind of polymorphous perversity of youth that is so invigorating to me because they don't have all the inhibitions that adults do. Like I'm walking into a gallery, you know, you cross your arms and say, oh, 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 you know, I like what I like and I know what I like. Where kids walk in there and it's like, whoa, this is really cool. <laughs> you know, What's doing? Let me look at it this way. Let me look at it that way. What's underneath it? What's on top of it? <laughs> you know, that's what that's what's fun for me. You know, I love that. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to have some critics who also love it. <laughs> <laughs> But unlike some people that we both know, people don't buy it as well as his stuff. <laughs> you know, because they don't understand it and it scares them. At least that's my thoughts. And talking to some that have made those decisions, I've, I've asked them fairly deep. They say, well, they kind of get to, a, I want to see what I want to see when I want to see it. And I say, okay, you know, that's cool. I wish I was, you know, that way. <laughs> but if there was just a single image, they would see it. And I, because of my imagery, I've actually, for the, a number of years, I, I never produced an image without a acrylic overlay. Uh, over the last few months, I've been pr- also producing images without the acrylic overlay. For the reason that not every image I can make work, literally. I mean, it's almost like a, a bronze sculptor. It cost me a fortune to look at something and look at it and say, uh, that sucks, you know, <laughs> which leads me to my uh, people ask me, you know, well, who's your biggest patron? Who's your biggest art collector? And I tell them, well, it's real easy. It's my trash man. <laughs> He's got more of my work than anybody. <laughs> so so do you have a pretty good idea now that you've been doing a while, um, an image that's going to work really well? Or are you always kind of surprised whether it works or whether it doesn't work? Some surprise the hell out of me that they actually work. I, I got to I mean, I got to admit that. Some I have a fairly good idea of whether it will or it won't work. But honestly, I'm, I'm always surprised at, you know, more so the ones that don't work because there's about eight $900 down the drain to find out they don't work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, but it happens. 
hopefully it doesn't happen as, as often as it did when I started, but uh, it does happen. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just part of the art game, literally, because I can't really tell whether what I'm doing works until I put it all together. You know, I can't tell whether the aluminum works. You know, I can tell whether it works by itself. And I can tell the, whether the acrylic works by itself. But once you put them together, it's a whole different, it's a whole different story. Hmm. And yes, I've been surprised that some I really thought would work well turned out horrible. And some that I thought were kind of so-so going into it, I put it together and I basically snapped my head back and said, wow, did I do that? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. That's kind of the fun of it, too. It kind of keeps me guessing, keeps me going. Yeah. And dealing with all this technology is daunting in itself because, you know, I wish I could say I use it right all the time. You know, I don't. I use what I think is right, but occasionally it, it bites me. Sometimes too occasionally, but <laughs> it does. Same thing as a, as a person in a dark room would do. You know, who, you know, who ruins a print, you know, or leaves it in the bath too long or the fix too long or, you know, burns it or, you know, tries to dodge and it doesn't work. And they go through a hundred sheets of paper and say, whoa, I still can't make this thing work. <laughs> you know, it's the same type of thing, yeah. but different technologies. But it's not as easy, I suppose, like if it comes out and it, it doesn't look right to you. It's not just a simple tweak of the acrylic or the, the tin, right? You Sometimes it is. Okay. And sometimes on some that I'm not sure of, I'll maybe do two or three acrylics at the same time. The base image is, is pretty well set for the most part. It's the acrylics that drive me cuckoo. And sometimes I'll do two or three and... You know, hopefully one of them works. Sometimes none of them work, you know, and then, uh, yes, I could tweak them more, but sometimes it's just like, you know, sort of what's the point, you know, is it really going to say more about the image I'm trying to convey than the plain image would alone? And if it doesn't add something to the experience of the image and it doesn't work. Yeah. It may look okay, but it doesn't work as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I, I feel fortunate that I can, you know, not put out work that doesn't work for me. You know, it's, so it's, I'm making the value judgment and it's hard. It's hard. I mean, cause uh, as almost every, photographer or artist can tell you, you know, you spend hours and hours on a piece, you know, you finally look at it when it's finished, you know, and it becomes, well, this is nice refrigerator art, but that's about all it's good for, <laughs> you know, you know, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. I love how you're pushing the envelope and experimenting all the time. Where you're at right now with this whole process, how, how long of a time did it take you to um, kind of develop into where you're at now? It basically took me about two solid years of crazy experimenting. 
uh, to to get where I am right now. Uh, I can't say I'm not experimenting, but instead of using like a huge Epson printer with uh, that takes rolls and I, I can print on uh, a polyester film to give me kind of sort of what I'm looking for to see what I'm doing or to see if the equations are working or if the sizes are working. Sometimes, and I built frames with different, in different positions where I can kind of sandwich the frame between glass or acrylic or whatever, depending on the size I was doing. But it took two years of constant experimentation to kind of get to where I, I am uh, with the patent. And uh, I still experiment quite a bit but I'm using more of the finished materials for the experimentation, hoping that some of them will work rather than using uh, the smaller images and the smaller printers to do it. Because I can't get the precision I need without very complicated you know, production equipment. And that's what I, I have to use. Like to do a sublimation print, is quite a accomplishment on its own, where you just don't you just don't do that at home, not often. I mean, some you might be able to try to do it, but you can't get the type of quality of print that you see in the fine art side uh, at home. Uh, and one of the reasons I, I do know that is 25 years ago. I was working with sublimation. Uh, I was doing more sublimation on fabric uh, and printing sublimation uh, images for manufacturers like ski parkas and running shorts and all that kind of stuff. Experimenting with sublimation early on and then going to, going to the Rochester Institute of Technology's research labs and working with their people on researching sublimation. Well, this was, you know, like 25 years ago or so. So I kind of I know what it's about and it's easier for me to, to make changes. In fact, the sublimation printer I was using, I had to show them some of the tricks of what sublimation does and what, the, what it doesn't do. Now, thank goodness they're showing me the tricks because they've been doing it long enough. So, because if you're, you're in color, you're working with specific color gambits. And if you don't understand that, uh, you're going to be really disappointed with sublimation because it doesn't act like a quote type C print or something like that. Uh, works very differently. Given that and a couple of bucks, I can buy a Coke in, <laughs> in, some, in some hotel someplace. <laughs> so, I, you know, we've, as you know, we've talked to Topher and he, he does sublimation prints, you know, large prints. Um, is, and I don't want to, you know, feel free not to answer this, but do you use like one sublimator or do you use a, a, a number of companies? And could you mention who they are or is that something that you keep close to your chest? No, I, I use one. I use Reed in Denver. Oh, 
And uh, basically, I've been using those guys for, wow, probably 30, 35 years. Uh, they started off with film and retouching and everything. And in my previous life, uh, I had a marketing design and printing company. And so they did a lot of work for us then. And Bob Reed was, uh, you know, just one of those people that kept pushing the envelope and we kept using them. And, you know, I, I use them. Uh, Topher uses a, a couple of groups. Uh, I Honestly, I've never tried them, uh, but they do terrific work also. One of the reasons Topher uses, I think it's just the place in San Francisco, which I honestly, I don't know the name, uh, is because they can do a larger print than Reed can uh, by about, I think, six or six inches to a foot. Uh, so, and I don't generally do them that large because as Topher said, why don't you do them that large? I said, because it's a pain in the ass to ship them. <laughs> <laughs> Just being pragmatic, right? Just being yeah, pragmatic. Absolutely. <laughs> says, well, how'd you come up with that size? I said, well, I found this shipping box <laughs> and I whack it a few inches off each side and pack it with foam and it's just fine. <laughs> so, you know, very pragmatic use <laughs> of materials. <laughs> Would I love to do them larger? I don't know. They they probably work even differently than they do smaller. But uh, I found that in galleries and museums and the, the shows, this is a pretty decent size that they all like. I mean, you're, if you get too small, they just don't do anything. They're like postage stamps on the wall. So what's your um, what sizes do you do? Basically, it's a 36 by 30, you know, either horizontal or vertical, which is a remnant of your 8 by 10s. Just scale it up, and that's what you get. You know, again, it's going back to my, my film heritage and paper heritage. You know, that's what I do. Uh, your 6 by 9 type of uh, formats, I, I use occasionally... And during COVID times, I started doing landscapes, which was just a, you know, like, what the hell? You know, I'm sitting here for a year. <laughs> I got to do something. <laughs> so going through my going through my work and th that shape, which is pretty close to what Topher's using, uh, works better on your large, expansive landscapes. So I do those, although they're a real pain to ship, but I do those also. <laughs> I've actually... I think the ones I'm doing are like 48 inches by 27 inches and that the gallery seemed to like that size. When you go out and shoot images, do you have in mind how you're going to work with that image as you're shooting it or beforehand, depending on what your subject matter is, if you're going to end up trying to do the acrylic thing, do you have that already kind of in your head or is that something that happens after the fact, after you go out and you, shoot whatever it is that you're going to shoot and then start uh, manipulating it in the computer? It's always in my head, literally. Uh, and that doesn't mean I don't take snapshots for the sake of snapshots. I mean, there's a lot of moments that are literally just snapshots. 
but when there's images that I feel start talking to me, uh, that's when I, you know, I look at them through, you know, sort of my, the lens of my mind as opposed to my eye. And a lot of those, well, like, I, I like traveling and uh, traveling through, well, through Tuscany was an interesting adventure uh, where I, I did one landscape that sort of was reminiscent of a Monet. And that was in one of the shows that uh, Topher and I was, was in. And when I shot that, that's exactly what I was thinking, which was interesting because I, I, I don't go out and say, hey, I want to go shoot a Monet or I want to go do go to some bar and do a Lautrec or, you know, <laughs> see some ballerina and, you know, do someone else. You know, it just uh, the images talk to you. Uh, I, I know your photographers and, you know, sometimes they just talk to you. Uh, and it, it, that's when it's really, it's kind of nirvana. Now, what's really sucks is when they talk to you and you bring them home and they don't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of those, by the way. <laughs> or... You bring them home and they say, whoa, what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you smoking? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of situation that is like, okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I do and I don't. I wish I could answer it more directly, but, you know, it isn't like, you know, I put my beret on and, you know, go out and say, I'm an artist today, so this is what I'm shooting. I just don't do that. But you kind of have a, like maybe some moment at, at, at home or wherever, maybe in a bar and uh, go, oh, you know, here's an interesting idea. I remember this place that I've been to and I want to shoot this. And I think it's going to have this effect when I'm done. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Conceptual and thinking or photography or whatever. You're, yeah. you're coming up with the concept before you actually even take your camera. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a gallery freak. I go to almost every gallery there is in every city I go to. I go to museums wherever I can see them, art museums. And I find so much inspiration in, in just seeing different points of view of different things. Uh, uh, it, it's just amazing because sort of the, you know, the only point of view that isn't valid is one that never changes. And that, to me anyway, and that, that's what I love. I mean, you know, going through the, you know, museums in Spain or Paris or, you know, anywhere in these little towns or when people freak out because I said, there isn't a church in Rome that I haven't been in, you know, just to see that 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 masterpiece in the corner someplace, you know, that's got three inches of dust on it. No one recognizes it, but it's there, you know, and that's, that's the way it is in, in a lot of cities from, you know, Prague to, you know, Florence to, to what have you, uh, to even the United States, not quite as much art in the churches here, but 
Yeah, there's some pretty nice ones. But yeah, I do go out and say, whoa, can I do a Gauguin or can I take a, you know, Mondrian or something like that? Or gee, well, some of the pieces you've seen, you know, what if I, you know, put a, a Paul Clay filter in my head? You know, you know, would I actually see anything? That isn't is doesn't happen as often as just being excited by the images of life, you know, the images around me. That's the most exciting thing. Uh, the rest is, you know, kind of happenstance or me trying to disappoint myself by trying to replicate one of those guys, you know, <laughs> that, that type of thing. But, you know, I, I'd love to do, I'd love to go out and say, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I wish I was good enough to do that, but I'm not, you know, I just have to live within my skin and my brain and listen to my daughter ask me what the hell I've been smoking when she sees some of my stuff. <laughs> you know? oh, that's awesome. But those are, those are, those are kind of the, that's the fun of it is the mystery of, of the image. My, my wife's a pastel painter and watching her agonize over working with pure color, her canvases, uh, whatever the materials happen to be and how she agonizes over it. You know, she'll take weeks to days to weeks to months to, to finish one of them where, you know, I can do four or five different variations in the matter of an hour or two. You know, sometimes it really pisses her off. But, you know, when she makes a mistake, it's all over. When I make a mistake, it's called delete. <laughs> <laughs> delete that layer. <laughs> so, yeah. isn't that I don't spend a billion hours on something and then, you know, throw it out, but it's not quite the same as if you invested like every every little grain grain of, of color into it. <laughs> you know, with the advent or the popularity of using raw files has helped a whole lot because as you can see behind me, a lot of the colors and the pieces have come out of the raw file as filtering for specific colors and specific filters uh, to isolate, you know, what's in the colors that are in the image that your eye really doesn't see because your eye sees a blend of everything. You know, it's just, you know, sometimes I, I feel like, you know, I'm the blind man looking at an elephant. If you touch his trunk, you think it's one thing. You touch his tail, you think it's another thing. That's kind of like raw files. There's so much in there that goes unnoticed and untouched by most that is, is just remarkable. And you can really mess it up fast, but <laughs> it works. It's really nice. <laughs> the beauty about the raw file is that you can process it out in a million different ways and, and do all that experimentation and it's no big deal, right? So Exactly, exactly. Um, the flip side of that is it can sometimes be, at least for me, it can be a little overwhelming, you know, having all these different, you know, variations and stuff, you know, 
I've gotten better over time as far as like kind of honing in on what I'm trying to get out of that image. But with all the software that we have available to us now and all the things you can do with it, um, sometimes I find that daunting. Yeah, it is very daunting. I happen to love it until my machine crashes or the program is supposed to do something that it won't do or you sit there waiting, you know, 10 minutes for it to process. And all of a sudden it goes, bah! <laughs> you know, there's nothing there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, those are the things that drive me nuts. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot of the uh, Adobe's and call it the software vendors that are sick and tired of hearing me talk to them because when I push this, I push it beyond what a lot of programs are really meant to do. And they can do it and they say they can do it, but they say, well, no one ever does that. <laughs> and I said, well, guess who it is? I'm doing it and it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's really frustrating. Yeah, I bet. But the type of work that I do is not, let's just say documentary type of photography or street photography or wedding photography or, you know, that kind of piece where you're looking at a whole different image and you're looking at a whole different end product, which is just as hard to produce as what I do, but it just uses different tools and a different way of looking. There, there's no better or worse or value judgment. It's just different. And when you say you're daunted by what, raw files do, sure, because instead of having a dark room where you have 21 different filters you can use and that's it, and three different papers, you now have you know thousands of different filters, so to speak, that you can use. And you've got as much paper as you want because you can make it do almost anything. The problem people have that I've seen, and I've I've helped a lot of people with this, is they're not really sure what they want. But it's kind of like walking into a, a gallery. They know what they like when they see it. It's how the hell you get there. And that's where you'll find some of your online tutors that seem to have all the answers. They will give you their answers and they'll show you what they do. And if you want to mimic what they do, that's fine. And for someone just starting out, that's probably a terrific way to start. I mean, it's how most painters start. You know, find a, find a master and emulate the master. And once you figure out how they're doing it or what they're doing it, go off on your own. So that's kind of the difference between what I do and what, you know, what, what others in the photo business does. Sometimes I wonder when I see animal photography, you know, I see something in a magazine or something or something in, well, a National Geographic gallery in, in New York. I look at it and I say, how the hell did they do that? You know, <laughs> I mean, I know where they were. I knew what the situation was. I knew what the conditions are, but how they got that print is just miraculous, <laughs> you know, literally. So... All I can say is they know something I don't know. But 
they're not smoking funny things and making things like I do. So <laughs> <laughs> they're doing things that people like. <laughs> oh. So do you have a lot of conversations with like say Adobe as far as using Photoshop and I don't know what other programs you use. I'm maybe my, Lightroom my, or something like that. Yeah, my, my main programs are Photoshop and Lightroom and, uh, I use a myriad of other things that that come along, and I try, and you know, I've got more programs that I don't use than I use, actually. But yes, I do. I mean, things are supposed to work, and they don't. Uh, Adobe says, "Oh yeah, you know, if you look on, you know, page three hundred and sixty-two, yeah, we've got that down as an error that we're going to be working on, you know, that kind of thing." So I just register my complaint and move on. I mean, I figure that's just part of the part of the real world that you're living in. And there's not a whole lot I can do about it. It's kind of like, okay, what I, what can I do about climate change? Well, I can drive an electric car, I can put solar on my roof, and I can yell like crazy, but other than that, there ain't a whole lot I can do. <laughs> you know. It's the same thing with Adobe and or even the subgroups that are Photoshop and Lightroom. In fact, Photoshop has given me their, when I call in, I, I get to their third tier of help right away. <laughs> 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 you know, the first tier, I said, don't bother. <laughs> right. Second, Beyond me, let me get to three tier three for you. <laughs> yeah. Really. So, I mean, you know, it's not like I'm anything that special. I just drive everyone nuts. <laughs> They don't want to waste their time either. Well, you're doing things that they're not used to. You're doing things differently than what the traditional photographer is doing. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not doing, I'm not really doing what they know how to do. Right. I'm just using their tool to do what I do. Right. Um, I mean, in all honesty, some of the things that they do, I don't know how to do it in all honesty, uh, but I, I use it. Uh, uh, there was a, I used to have a, a, a guy who worked for me who all he worked all he did was Photoshop. And I used to use him as my instructor. I said, I know you can do it, but show me how to do it. So he I said, he says, well, how were you doing it before? And I show him and he starts laughing like crazy. <laughs> and then he goes like, bang, bang, <laughs> it's done. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> that type of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's almost like anything. There's a thousand ways to make anything work in those programs. It's just, you know, what's the best way? Well, there is no best way. The best way is what works for you. Right. That, right. that is exactly right. Like you said, there's so much functionality built into the software. And there, you know, like you said, there's a thousand ways to do the exact same thing. You just got to figure out what works for you and what works, you know, how your mind works to get to that point. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like, what can you say? I mean, how many layers can you put in Photoshop? Well, the answer is, is it depends what's on each layer. You know, like a Topher will have 30, 40, 50, 60 layers. If I put 60 layers on my Photoshop and it starts laughing at me when I try to save it, <laughs> it says, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know, and then they say, well, why don't you work in the cloud? I said, yeah. Right. 
I need to send all this data up through 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 the cloud <laughs> all the time. I said, I'll never do anything. So, I mean, it's that kind of, you know, it works for him. It may not work for anyone else, you know, who does that. Uh, so, you know, that's sort of the bane of photography. The, the best picture you can take is the one you do take, is literally. I mean... <laughs> And it's almost like fishermen too, you know. I wish I was there to take that shot. You know, it's that kind of thing. So, you know, it's the same thing with Photoshop and all of those other programs. You just kind of learn to live with what you can do and what you can't do, as opposed to beating yourself up and saying, I'm not going to do anything till it does what it should do. I think we'd all be somewhere else if that's what we waited for. Right. So how big are your files when you're done with an image? Pretty massive? Yeah. They're big enough where Photoshop won't save them. Okay. Uh, they say you need, you need smaller files. Hmm. Uh, so particularly in my the 30, the 30 by 36 inch photos, if I have more than a couple of layers, depending on the image, of course, uh, the file won't save. Wow. So I've got to work in like a 20 by 24 or smaller to get the image where I want. And then when I'm ready to print that size, basically just take one of the layers or two of the layers and print it. But yeah, they're huge files. Wow. That's, that's a killer. That's really a killer to work with. I mean, I use Dell computers, and when the Dell service guys look at my stuff, they say, holy shit, you know, you've got a lot of storage on this. <laughs> and I've never seen a computer with that much processor. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you just do as much as you can. And uh, you just load it as much as you can until, you know, until the, till the world uh, straightens out. I guess if I wasn't a, if I didn't start in DOS and the like, I might be in the Apple arena where most, most of the fine art and most photographers are, but uh, I don't think in those terms. I think more in the DOS terms, <laughs> if you will. Shows you how, how much I'm dated. <laughs> Well, it's what you know, right? And what you feel comfortable with. And if it works for you, you know, then who cares? It works. I mean, part of part of where it worked, the, the reason I, some people say, well, how do you deal with all this technology? Well, part of where I, where I was, like when I was going through, through school, I got my degree in industrial design. And I also was taking computer sciences which at the University of Missouri in Kansas City while I was doing that. So I was doing that and the economics classes. So I, I mixed a lot of those together. And my thesis at Pratt was designers using computers, uh, computer-assisted design, because some of the pieces I did were, I don't know, I guess... I'm probably a little older than you are, but if you remembered like the old crazy 3D visions of helicopters flying through cities, 
Well, I did a lot of those things. And that's what created my thesis in a very, very aesthetic environment. And it was really a bizarre event for Pratt to let me do that. But uh, one of the teachers who's, who's an icon, if you will, at Pratt, uh, we made a pact that I would teach her computers and she would teach me design. <laughs> so, so that kind of moved through that, through that type of thing. And it, it gave me a basis of not just not being afraid to push this stuff around where most people are afraid to touch it. My arms are still recovering from carrying around all those punch cards that I used to carry. <laughs> you know? Oh, you do know those things. <laughs> yeah. I used to work on a key punch machine back in the Marine Corps. All right. And supplies. Yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I was working with a, program that was through a key punch machine that yes i've worked on them and it was a 300 by 300 interaction lattice and it was the 300 by 300 matrix that i was doing which took two huge it, it took like 20 boxes of cards to run that program and i still have gorilla arms from carrying those suckers around <laughs> They're heavy, <laughs> but you know, if you're not afraid of it, you just go for it. Yeah. And that's what helped me get over my, get over any fear of technology is like, well, you know, it's there. And I think that's what kept me moving through the camera world is none of the technologies really affected me like, whoa, you know, this is digital, you know, hell no, I won't go. You know, that type of thing. Well, there's still some out there like that. But, you know, I like film and I like vinyl too, you know. But I also like the other stuff. If Spotify was vinyl, it would sound a little better. But go <laughs> go get anything you want, anytime you want. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So that, that's kind of where it's at. And all of that kind of gets mishmashed into my art. You know, in terms of, of how it how it goes together, which evidently is different than a lot of other artists, but uh, hopefully not. The nice part about traveling to different shows is I meet people who are relatively like minded and, you know, see what I'm doing and I can see what they're doing. And that's exciting. There's a lot of really, really good stuff out there you know, from a lot of different people, which I enjoy. Sometimes I enjoy it more than my own stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> helpful, it, help, it helps me learn. It helps me see. Sometimes I get blinded by what I think I should see. You know, how do you get rid of that, that film, if you will, over your eyes? It's by seeing, by working. And as photographers, I'm sure you see that too. A lot. I mean, how often have you run into something and said, how the hell they do that? You know, or, whoa, I really admire what they did. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, or I wish I could do it, or I wish I had the time to do it. <laughs> That's know? how I always know, you know, that it's, it's really good, right? Like when I see, like your work, 
I'm like that. This is so completely different than what I do and what I see from other people. It's inspiring and it gets me excited. You know, when I look at a photograph and I go, boy, man, I wish I would have taken that photograph. You know, that's, that's about as high of a compliment as I can pay somebody that if, if they've been able to pull it off and I don't even, you know, I don't understand how they did it or, uh, or I know how much work went into it to, to get yeah. that photograph. And yeah. I'm like, whoo, boy, they went the distance on that one. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, it's just amazing when, when you can do that because I mean, those seeing that type of thing helps us all grow. Sometimes I wish there was more sharing, if you will, in the arts community. There seems to be a lot of secrets out there that people won't tell anybody, but, and I understand that too. I mean, somebody wants to see the formula I use for parallax, I'll be happy to show them. <laughs> I don't understand it, but they might. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I think photographers play it a little bit closer to the chest than a lot of other like mediums. I see a lot of, you know, in doing this podcast and, and talking with people, it seems like people that are painters or sculptors or whatever, they they seem a little bit more willing to share their their knowledge and process. Photographers sometimes seems like they play it a little bit close to the chest and they're not always willing to to share. But what I've learned, and and I don't know, and I and I'm glad that you spoke to that, you know, hey, I'm willing to share my knowledge with people. But the reality of it is, is even if people know the technique, they're not going to have, it's not going to come out. You could teach me what you do. And it's, if I try it, it's not going to look like a Howard Harris photograph because our brains work differently and we see things differently. And that's what makes everybody unique. So even if you share a process or a technique, somebody else is not going to necessarily take that and make it you know, do the exact same thing that you do. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. And that's what's, that's what's exciting. Literally. I mean, this question I get asked is they say, well, they look at something I've done and they say, well, how long did it take to do that? I said, well, first it took 12 years of art school and it took 20 years of being a designer and five years of trying out all sorts of methodologies. And then about a week later, I came up with this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. You just, you, as, as a photographer, you bring your entire experience with you. Like, you know, I, sometimes I get enamored with street photographers. I mean, we're all walking the streets all the time and we all see people all the time. How can this one street photographer capture like the moments that they capture that honest to God, I just don't see, you know, it's just kind of really bizarre, but I just don't see it. And they could probably be walking right next to me and they'd be shooting and I'd be shooting and their stuff would be like jaw dropping and mine would be like, Oh, that's cool. You know, Aunt Janet just took these pictures, you know, for their kid's birthday, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, you're right. It's everything is rolled up into one when you do these images. And photographers, I think, kind of sometimes sell themselves short, especially if they're in kind of the 
uh, what some people call mundane, you know, like wedding photographs and that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of rope to it and there's a lot of stuff, but there's awful lot of vision and a lot of what the photographer is bringing to that, that those, those images that most people don't understand because they don't see a lot of it. You know, they don't see really what the bad stuff is, you know, uh, and if you've ever done wedding stuff, you, you know that one is capable of producing a lot of really nasty stuff <laughs> and a lot of good stuff, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm just using that as just something that lots of photographers have either scoffed at or tried or, or, or did. Some are amazing. Some are okay. And, you know, some like me did it once and said, Oh, I like the cake. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. That, that's the photo trick. Another issue that I have with the world is most of the world doesn't view what I do as photography. Uh, they view it as something they've, as you say, never seen before. So there's no explanation for it. There's no simple pigeonhole they put it in. And then I lay the, the term technoexpressionism on them, and they absolutely glaze over. And they say, whoa, what's that? And basically, I mean, very simplistically, technoexpressionism uses technology to explain the artist's emotion or feelings or the image feelings or emotion. Well, that they kind of understand, but... They've never heard of it before. So, like, what is this? And until maybe photographers, I think more so than almost any, you know, latch on to something that sounds more like, that sounds different than what everybody carries in their back pocket, you know, photography may not go too much further, may not, you know, may be still struggling to be an art form. You know, or the, quote, pro photographers will still be, well, he takes a picture better than, you know, Aunt Molly does, but Aunt Molly could have done that, you know, that kind of garbage. But, you know, and I see that a lot. If I enter a photo contest, 90% of the time I'm thrown out because they say that's not a photograph, you know, that kind of thing. I was going to ask you, like, if you enter, a, that was right on my mind. If you entered a photo contest, what, what category would you be under? Smoking. <laughs> smoking. <laughs> the good smoking, the good stuff category. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I generally, I generally enter it under abstractions. Okay. Which is really not abstractions as quote, a photographer would consider an abstraction. But it's about as close as I can get for the most part. Sometimes I, I've entered some of the stuff I've done under landscapes, uh, the landscape stuff, and they look at it and it's like, whoa, this should have been under the impressionistic side or something. I don't know, you know, who knows? I mean, the problem is, is there's no real hole that you can put my work in. And that makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. And it, it's... It bothers me because I, I keep saying I, I'm a photographer, 
which I am, because everything I start with is a base photo, literally. And I still consider myself a photographer. I just happen to use a lot of crazy, quote, darkroom techniques to do what I do. And that's not understood by, I'd say, most people or most, even most photographers. You know, they'll look at mine and say, oh, that's just digital art. Like, oh, that's, that means it's something less than photography or more. They look at me like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> I won't answer you, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. You know, but, you know, what can I say? This is, this is kind of the, the, the art I've chose for myself and I live with the good and I live with the bad. Hopefully something will kick in as more people decide that technology is used for many different things other than taking a good, clear, sharp, wonderful posed photograph, you know, or taking a, you know, or here's a great photograph that happens to be a situational photograph. Like, quote, the great photographer that snapped the shot of the Hindenburg blowing up. I mean, hell, he was just there and he did it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know as I don't know, one of the one of the famous photographers said, is you got to be there to take the shot. <laughs> Some like some uh, Robert Capita would say or something. something yeah, like you just that. and that's and, and that's the truth with journalism, right? Yeah, the absolutely. vast majority of them is. I was there at the moment that this, you know, this thing exploded or this gunfire, you know, broke out, and they they were you know put themselves in danger and took some great shots. But a lot of it is instead of skill and technique, it's you know timing. Yeah, I was. I, I saw an interview with uh, one of the photographers for, I, I don't know, one of the newspapers or whatever that took one of those super iconic shots of a guy jumping from the World Trade Centers. I knew fall, you were going to say that. I, I had the man. exact same thought in my head as you were saying that. Well, yeah, that the AP photographer that ca- captured that. Exactly. And, you know, in an interview, he said he didn't have a clue. He captured it until he actually got back and looked at it. You know, he said, man, I was just snapping photos, you know. And I think he he, had eight frames, if I remember right, like eight frames of that. And then one, yeah. Yeah, and and it was just like, you know, yes, it took him recognizing it. Yes, it took him, you know, composing it into more than just, you know, a sloppy frame, if you will. Uh, without a doubt, but, you know, they'll say, isn't he a great photographer? I'd say, yeah, great timing, great shot, you know, literally. But you got to do a little more than than just one. He did an awful lot more than just one. Right. Yeah. Not to, and, and I should probably preface this. I wasn't like downplaying photojournalists because like I said, they put themselves in, in very dangerous situations to bring us back the truth or, you know, what they seen is the truth. And uh, so I'm not downplaying that, but a lot of it is timing and, and being at the right place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And gets me to another one of my kind of pet peeves, if you will, with photography. 
if you take a print, let's just say not one of mine, just say one of your prints, okay? You do an eight by 10 print, okay? You put one, you put, you put, you have three prints and you put them in a frame. One frame goes in the alley behind your house, assuming you have an alley, if not behind your house. Another one goes on your wall in your house. And another one goes to the Museum of Modern Art and is hung. How many people who walk by that photo in the alley will say, wow, this is a hell of a photo? How many people who look at your photo in your house would say, wow, this is a hell of a photo? Versus how many people at the Museum of Modern Art will look at it and say, whoa, they've got it. It's got to be a hell of a photo. So, yeah, wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's kind of situational, you know, viewing. Yeah. You know? And I, I never really realized that till I was at a show in Chicago and they were featuring belly button fuzz art. And there was belly button fuzz pinned to the wall. We said, whoa, isn't this great art? You know, this was a great conceptualist. I looked at him and I said, okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, what can I tell you? You know, a lot of art is, is where you see it or what the expectations are of seeing it. You know, if they see it in your house, they say, oh, that's another nice photo you took. You know, they see it in the alley. You know, someone will tear out the photo and sell the frame to a thrift shop, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> they see it at the Museum of Modern Art, they go, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is amazing. Yeah, so it's I'm, like a banana, a duct tape banana, you know. It's exactly. like, really? Yeah, exactly. You know, why not? You know, right. or put it now as an NFT and get $10 million for your belly button fuzz. <laughs> you <laughs> got to try that one. <laughs> there you go. It'll sell. Uh. <laughs> Who knows? You know, I mean, it's just, it's just how, how funny the world is and how hard it is to, decipher the world around you, particularly when you're using a camera and you have to see beyond what your eyes actually see. And that's kind of the bottom line of this stuff is how many people really do that. And, you know, some do, some don't, you know, most don't, but that's okay too. And with everybody carrying a camera in their back pocket, I mean, you can't expect a whole lot. And when people talk about, well, I could do that. Well, reminds me of a story about my daughter. My wife took my five-year-old daughter to the Museum of Modern Art, and they saw a Jackson Pollock painting. And my daughter was staring at it and staring at it and says, Mom, I could do that. And my wife told uh, my daughter, but you didn't. <laughs> you know that kind of thing <laughs> you know that's the same thing with phot photography you know everybody looks at something after it's all done and says I can do that well go ahead and do it you know knock yourself out and that's that's the type of I'd say the good and the bad of, of being in the art world uh, when I was just doing photography for you know documentaries for department stores and meetings and stuff you know, it was relatively easy. You just had to be there at the right time. 
but doing this stuff is agonizing. You know, literally, it's just agonizing. And what what successes you have are more inside your own head than there are anywhere else. New Magazine is our media sponsor for the Tenant Podcast. That's N-U-E. You can follow both the National and the Denver edition of New Magazine on Instagram. The National edition can be found at New underscore Magazine and the Denver edition at New underscore Denver underscore Magazine. Look to New for compelling stories from the world of art and fashion. Thanks for listening. I'm Howard Harris, and you're listening to the Town of Podcast, and I'm not smoking anything. Can we talk about a couple pieces? Sure. Um, I think, Todd, uh, the one I'm looking at right now at, at home is called Heart, and I think Heart. you that was one that you kind of had. Oh, yeah, Th- that was one that I that I really liked. Did you want to bring that one up? Yeah, let me do that right now. And you can find this in the abstraction um, gallery on Howard's website here. I know it well. I just packaged that up today. It'll be in a New York gallery uh, at the end of this month for a, for a month showing it. And if you look at the heart, that's a perfect example of something I thought would work dimensionally and absolutely doesn't. Did not work with an overlay. In fact, I did three overlays for it, and none of them worked as well as the base image. This piece is a base image piece then? That's a base image only piece. Okay. And it was also me exploring kind of my sort of half-assed vision of cubism, trying to go beyond some of a lot of the work you see I do is linear and uh and volumetric, where this is more graphic and not quite as much volume. But uh, I'll send you a lollipop if you can tell me what the base image of this was. <laughs> I was just thinking. I, I, was, I was trying to guess myself. Hmm. Any guesses? It's an aspen leaf. Oh, okay. Ah, I can totally it see is. it now, but boy. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, that's that's awesome. I got to say, that's really the piece itself is just stunning. But knowing that it's an aspen leaf, I don't know. It it just makes it even better for me because I love aspens and I. Uh, me too. And I love that shape. Well, it, it's an aspen leaf that was turning. It was in the fall, which created a number of the colors. And I got to admit, I put the blue in myself because I thought it was getting a little too, too static. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the base started as an aspen leaf, which is if you look at behind the bigger squares to the littler squares, you sometimes you might be able to see some of the texture of the leaf itself. But it's, it's very well disguised and very well hidden. You, you may not see it well. I happen to know where a lot of it is, so I can see it. Part of the problem I have is uh, there's another image. I don't know if you have it. Call it Old Man. Oh, that was another image I wanted to, to talk about. Let me see if I can bring that up. That one will knock your socks off. 
That one was in a zoo <laughs> in Australia. There, oh, we, there go. we go. Yeah. This is an eye. This is an eye. This is a nose. Uh-huh. This is the guy's forehead. Right. This is his mouth and a beard. That I can see. Okay. Now, if you turn him upside down, basically, it's kind of a devilish-looking figure with eyes, yeah. hair burning, scrunched-up lips, and kind of a chin beard. One reviewer went cuckoo over this guy because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Where when you said you couldn't, you couldn't see it. Well, I couldn't see that. I couldn't interpret what the actual image is. I could see what you, you know why it was called old man. I could see that face, but I'm still lost as far as what the actual base image is. It was an old man. Oh, it was. Oh, literally was an old man. Okay. Yeah, it was what I looked at for street photography. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was. It was an old guy's. It was an old guy that just fascinated me. And what I did is I was still playing in a cubistic mode and moved things around a little bit. Yeah. And then, interesting enough, I was playing with some Escher-like games in my head and created an upside-down image mm. and a, a right-side-up image. Gotcha. And when this was shown, you could basically turn it either direction I love it. I love what you did with it. So that was a, that, that's one of my experiments. You know, I, I will try to, I'm, I'm going to try, I will do more of those. But uh, again, it's just constant experimentation and moving through, you know, the obvious to maybe, you know, what I see. I mean, I didn't, I mean, someone says, well, how can you show this grotesque image, that devilish image? I said, to tell you the truth, I really didn't see that. I saw this old man, but just another picture of an old man is, you know, like, so what? So I tried to bring some character to it. I love, I love this. I'd love to see a whole series of these, Howard. Yeah, so would I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on them. <laughs> you got to find an old man or an old woman that I can do too. <laughs> but another another one you might be interested in seeing. That's another strange one. Oh, I love this image. I saw this. I saw this in one of your uh, one of the magazine articles that you have on your website. It was featured, and I thought, wow, that's just really stunning. And that's called water rest. Yeah, and this was taken with a. This was taken uh, in uh, southern Italy. I was in a hotel room looking down at the ocean, and up here, are the, like the rocks of the breakwaters, and there was this lady just kind of lying there, and people looked at it, and this is the water essentially. Mm -hmm. So. You know, what I did is I, I sort of took the lady and, you know, made her work with the water. 
if I, if it was the real image, it would probably be half this size. Mm. But now she follows she follows this water, the wave, and kind of elongate. I mean, she looks really odd if you look at it all by itself. But when you look at the whole piece, it looks you know kind of like peaceful. Mm-hmm. It's peaceful and it's and, and it's a bit surreal. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, it's a great piece. Yeah, it's also kind of more painterly than some of the things that I do, but I, I was trying to emulate, you know, a particular style of painter when I was doing this. I was using that as this was one of this was in the show that I did with Topher when we did the master show, which was kind of a brain drain of trying to do something that the masters that you're influenced by, if you will, in the masters. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Is this another example of a single plane or base image? That's a multiple plane. That is a multiple plane. And the old man was a single plane also. Okay. Okay. Where sometimes it just doesn't work, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it just, the dimensions are so strange, if you will, looking that, it actually gets in the way of the piece as opposed to helps augments the piece itself. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of interesting where this is a, this is another weird one. Oh, this is another piece I wanted to talk about. This is great. This is a uh, Oc- Oculus Maximus, right? Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm picking all the pieces you wanted to see. Yeah. I, I literally have this list in front of me. And um, you're like hitting all of them. <laughs> That's my eyeball. Oh, is that right? Yes. It's a photograph of my eye that I put a Howard Harris touch to. The only thing that isn't in the original photograph is the iris. An eye doctor wanted to buy this. And he says, so basically says, so where's the retina? I said, oh, I'll find one and put it in if you want. <laughs> so I found one and I put it in there. So the, the original image of that, uh, that was the original image. So all the, all the outside was the same, but the eye doctor wanted the, wanted to see through it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's layered also. Looks like a medalla. Yeah, it does. This is another one I thought this would be a great series if you just did a bunch of different people's eyes and did your thing to them. Does this resonate a lot with a lot of people? Yes. When I tell them it's an eye, sometimes they freak out and sometimes they go cuckoo saying, whoa, that's incredible. Then they say, whoa, what were you really smoking that day? (laughs) (laughs) It is very psychedelic. looking. (laughs) Yes. Well, op art is something that I really like too, so it's there. But it's a it's one that 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 is interesting. I I've, I can do a lot of them, and I've done three or four, but they all kind of look the same. Do they? Okay. And I can't say they're exactly the same. I mean, they look they're really different. Uh, but you know, it's kind of been there, done that. And I could reproduce it a billion times if I wanted to, but what's the point for me? Yeah. 
There, there is a photographer in Spain that specializes in taking people's eyeballs. And I've been talking with him about, well, if somebody wants their eye to look like this, let me know. Send me the picture you take and I'll do it. Where the picture that was actually taken of my eye was that photographer in Spain, in Madrid, I believe, hmm. who has this huge elaborate setup to take eyeball pictures. Because I, I told him, I said, I've been trying to photograph an eye, an eyeball for years. And I've never really been all that successful. So basically he sent me the files and I did my thing and he did his thing. And this is on his website. And, you know, every now and then somebody wants a funky eye. <laughs> so I do it for him. <laughs> But there's, you know, there's that type of thing. No, that's the only other. I mean, those are kind of the, I can't say more interesting things, but those are the, those are some images that have resonated pretty well. Since you have control of this, uh, I want to have you uh, pull up one more image. And this is probably, this one's a little bit probably easier for people to digest because it's not so abstract. But um, the one that's called a fall walk. I really love that image. Wow, that's really that's awesome, isn't it? This was one of my COVID adventures. I I just love this. You know what this looks like to me? I don't know if you've ever played with uh, uh, manipulating the emulsion of a Polaroid. Oh yeah, it does doesn't it? You know, we 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 move the emulsion around before it sets. That's what it looks like, and I love this. It, it just it's a stunning, stunning photograph. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this is a, this was sort of a foray into landscapes. And this is where I, I'm using a larger, or let's just say a different format than most of them, because it just demands, you know, a little more presence or a little more view. So it worked out well. It, it worked out really yeah, well. That's amazing. I love it. I bet the feedback on this has been pretty popular photograph. Yeah. People liked it. Let's put it that way. The one they liked more than this one. I mean, this one I love because of these rocks and the way the, the trees are going cuckoo back here. Uh, the one that got more play than this was that one. Oh, that's pretty too. Yeah, it that's, is pretty. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. That's the San Juan mountain range. That goes into Mexico, by the way. <laughs> wow. But yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, this was more kind of impressionistic than the other. The other was more photographic. You know, photographers like the other one better than this one, but a lot of people like this one because I don't know, they just seem to respond to it. You know. I wish I could tell you what people like. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if if we knew that, we'd all be rich, right? Yeah, you got it. I'll just have to follow Topher around to find out what's going on. <laughs> really? Uh, well, that's an interesting one. Those were fall leaves on a tree. Really? Mm-hmm. I can see the leaves, especially the green one, and then in the blue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those are kind of my adventures. My adventures in photo world. Those are mannequins in a window in New York. Wow. Mm. Your iconography too is really is really good. 
I was looking at some of those, you know, when I was paging through your page, mm-hmm. the religious imagery stuff is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I tend to go cuckoo in churches. <laughs> <laughs> These, the sculptures that I find in churches are, I mean, they're meant to tell stories and they really do. Mm-hmm. Most European churches anyway. So you got this basic image and then you have this stuff that almost looks like neon. It's, you know, the, the really bright colors. How are, how are you creating those? Are, is that just lines that you're making and then exaggerating them with different filters? This was graffiti on a corrugated metal wall on a building. And basically what I did is I obviously enhanced all the colors Mm -hmm. and uh, I did a small spiral in Photoshop. Okay. Which basically looked more, more expressively graffiti ish than just Mm -hmm. the straight graffiti shot. Right. That's really cool looking too. I like that a lot. But just, I mean, when you mentioned neon, that was right there. So I yeah. That. Yeah. I'd say that if you look at what I do color-wise, it tends towards the obscene bright side. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you exactly why, but, you know, even something like this, this is a very, this happens to be in Santa Fe, but very, you know, as if you know the Santa Fe landscape, you know, there's a lot of these trees that are fairly static and dark. And what I try to do is this was basically taken as a HDR shot. And I used different layers of the HDR to bring out different elements in this particular thing. So, yeah, I do use a lot of trickery to try to find. I mean, I was blown away with these trees. Yeah. Little adobe dude down here. And that one's called Rancho Jacorna? Yeah. In fact, that's on my cousin's ranch where I celebrated his 100th birthday. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, technology and Photoshop and Lightroom, you know, can help you go a long way, you know, and then talk about neon and craziness. This was a golden eagle that I shot at the at a zoo in Australia, and the fire came from Photoshop. <laughs> mm. It's called digital art, I guess. But those are the types of you know craziness that that go along. Oh, this one a critic really loved. Oh, the Brisbane storm. Yeah, he he wrote about that. That one he just freaked out over. <laughs> you know. Now, are you using um, other software beyond Photoshop and, and Lightroom, Howard, or those are pretty, those are the main or the key ones? Those are the main ones. That was fun to take a little tour. And, and uh, it was amazing that you picked so many images that I had written down and, and Wes had, and I kind of discussed before we got on with you that um, those were the images that you were pulling up for us. So yeah. that was really, really wonderful. Well, those are some of my more recent images. So they're they're sort of stronger in my brain, if you will. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, but most of those images were, you know, kind of COVID images. You know, here's the stupid aspen leaf that I shot. 
And I, I don't even remember when I shot it, to tell you the truth. It was in the fall, for sure. And I was saying, you know, okay, what can I do with it? So I was playing a game with myself, like, you know, okay, hot shot, do something. <laughs> you know? And I said, well, let me try a few things and see if I can make this more than an aspen leaf. And whammo. You know, it's nice to surprise yourself when you do those things. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's a nice surprise. Uh, surprised enough in a new technique that I'll be trying trying that on other images to see if it was just one of those lucky mistakes or if it's something I could actually do. <laughs> I bet you that looks really cool as a metal plate, though. Those colors got to just bounce. It jumps off like yeah. crazy. And luckily, the show's in New York close to Valentine's Day. <laughs> it might uh, actually do something. <laughs> yeah. No, I think so. So do you do it? Do you ever do prints of, of those or pretty much originals and that's it? No, everything I do is uh, I'll do prints, uh, but I do limited edition prints. Okay. And my editions are limited to five. Five. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't really want to do a lot out there. It, it's just, to me, it's, it's nice, but it kind of diminishes the value of them. Mm-hmm. Not that I sell them for a lot of money or anything, but it's just a matter of, you know, why play games? You're either going to do prints or you're, or you're not. And the reason I do five is particularly on the ones that I do uh, outside of the United States, if you will, that at least I could hopefully break even on the travel. <laughs> so, right. You know, so are they printed on paper or are they on smaller tins or? No, they're all 30 by 36 or larger. Okay. Uh, the smallest I'll go is 20 by 24. Okay. I, I do some on that. So your prints are the actual size as well then? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. uh, a lot of, a lot of people in houses, don't want any, don't want something that big. Right. It just doesn't fit particularly, you know, like it seems like the older purchasers don't have a lot of wall space, but they really want something. So they need something that'll fit in somewhere as opposed to like some giant dominant thing. You have like one wall that would fit a Topher original. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and that's all that you put on the wall. (laughs) And then you'd be right up, your face would be right up against it because it's in my hallway in between the kitchen and the living room. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, God love him. He does it. (laughs) Oh my God. He's got it down. That guy's a hustler and I, and I, I love him for what he uh, has been able to accomplish with his art career and in the, in the little bit of time he's been really doing it. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's, you know, deserves all the accolades in the world, you know, being a single parent, you know, dad and doing artwork and all this type of stuff is like, whoa, it's a better man than I gunged in, you know, <laughs> really, that's tough work, literally, and I, I love what he's doing. Yeah. So because you go pretty large, Howard, um, are, are you using a DSLR? Are you using a medium format digital camera? What, what format do you work in? Basically, I, I shoot 
with a full frame 35 millimeter. I'm using the Nikon D850. Okay. Soon to be the M9. <laughs> we'll see what that, we'll see what happens there. Because I think the crispness that you get with mirrorless is going to make a lot of what I do even more vivid and more, let's say I'll be able to get more pixel color out of the raw file than I can even with the 850, which mm -hmm. is outstanding and spectacular. I mean, if they didn't come out with anything else, I mean, I, you could live your life on that camera. But you know, it helps to have technology working with you as opposed to against you. <laughs> right. No, that seems to be the direction it's going with with all the all the manufacturers going throwing their money and and uh, research and development into the mirrorless thing. And from what I've seen, I don't shoot mirrorless, but it, from what I've seen with the mirrorless, it's just so crisp, even you know wide open. It's just it just really pops. Yeah, yeah, and you know, studying a little bit of the optics, the optics are. You know, let's put it this way. Owning a number of lenses makes me want to cry because I'm going to have to get rid of all of them and move into the mirrorless optics to get the full bang out of the buck, so to speak. But that's quite an adventure in itself. <laughs> exactly. No, it's uh, it's kind of, you know, I uh, when everything went to digital, I I kind of held on to the, all my film formats. I had, you know, four by five view, uh, view camera. I had two medium format systems plus my 35 system. And it was amazing how quickly everything just changed like that. You know, I, I'm a Mia RZ that back in the day, you could shoot your entire career with that camera. All of a sudden, nobody wanted them, you know, because everything was digital. I had one of those, in fact. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it was it was a monster to carry. Although it was better than most of the most of my shots uh, very early on were all four by five. And you know, literally you need a Sherpa to carry those suckers around, along with all the crap and plates you have to carry with it if you're doing a lot of shooting. <laughs> Yeah, right. And it goes back to Ansel Adams, you know, carrying around this monstrous camera all in the backcountry and in, in making those photographs. Unbelievable, really. I mean, what it took to do that is just just amazing. I mean, really amazing, you know, and to come back with and to come back with that stuff. I mean, uh, well, actually, Ansel Adams used film. Weston used glass on a lot of his. How the hell do you hike out with that crap? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I used film later on, but, you know, it's just mind boggling. I mean, I, 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 I love them for just what it took to, to take an image and then to take that image and make it something that is that people, you know, really admire. Uh, and not because they're old guys and they're hanging in museums, but because it's they showed them something they've never seen before. Yeah. The view from a place that they'd probably never get to. And, you know, the difference between them and me is they shot stuff people never seen before. 
and people bought it. My stuff they've never seen before. They say, I ain't buying it because I've never seen it before. (laughs) 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 So, you know, what can you say? (laughs) I think it's only a matter of time and you're going to break it. And uh, people are, people will be able to wrap their heads around it and, uh, and admire it for the beauty. It is because man, you have some beautiful images there. Absolutely gorgeous. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's, you know, comments like that keep me going. And, you know, the the rest of the stuff is just kind of nice when it happens, you know, literally. Uh, and if you're doing it for yourself, you have a whole different, you know, outlook on what you're doing. As opposed to Topher. I mean, he hustles like hell because that's his job. You know, thank God I don't have to do that job. <laughs> I just do what I do, <laughs> you know, and the good news is, is it takes, it takes all of us to, to make it happen. And, you know, I make it happen my way, you know, he makes it happen his way, you make it happen your way, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of life, I guess, that we all enjoy different things like that. Yeah. And from doing this podcast, we know that, you know, there's no set way of doing this thing, you know, being an artist, everybody does it their own way. And, you know, you can see some things that definitely carry over from person to person, little things, but for the most part, everybody's on their own journey, doing it the way that they see fit to do it, you know? Yeah. Seems to be the only common denominator is pain. (laughs) (laughs) So if we weren't all masochists, we wouldn't be doing this, I guess. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit of uh, the business side of things, but um, you've gotten a lot of accolades and a lot of awards for your for, for your photography. Are you constantly entering shows and, um, and talking to publications and stuff? Because you've had a lot of write-ups as well. Yes. The good news is a lot of the publications ask me to do interviews and that kind of stuff, which, as I say, I get a lot of critical acclaim, and that's part of it, where a lot of the shows that I I put my work out to basically goes to different audiences and different viewers. And, you know, like I had a show in Florence and then a museum in Tuscany, said, gee, I'd like, we'd like to show your work. And then there's some society of artists in Italy that asked me to be part of their society of artists, which there's 125 that vote for who's the artist of the artist. You know, I don't know what the hell. I have no idea what it is, but it's, I mean, I can find out. I have to look at my website to see what it is. But essentially, it's those kinds of things that, keep me moving because people who is business is seeing and looking and scouting stuff, look at my work and think it has some value. And I like that, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I like it when people buy my work too, believe me, you know, that's, that's another affirmation, but the affirmation of some of these critics who, you know, I mean, I, I happen to be in the International uh, Encyclopedia 
I don't know what it's called, the International Encyclopedia of Artists or something like that. You know, out of the billions of artists in this world, they wanted me to be in it. You know, I, God, that's a great honor. That yeah. is a great honor. You know, that type of thing. It's not those things I don't take lightly because, because people who can, people choose to tell me those things. Or if you've read some of the, the, the critics' comments, they don't have to say that. They don't have to say anything. They don't even have to look at the stuff, but they do. And that keeps me going because they see, sometimes they see more in my work than I see in my work, to tell you the truth. And then I look at it, I try to look at it through their eyes. And then I sometimes see it, sometimes I don't. But sometimes I just write them a note and saying, you know, I aspire to be all that you think I am, you know, and, and continue to be that way. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm in a lot of that stuff and, and I do a lot of it because it sort of keeps my juices running. Yeah. Uh, and I don't say no. Like when you wanted to do a podcast, I said, sure, I'll do it. You know, why not? You know, what else am I going to be doing? <laughs> You know, well, be, you could be working on images right now. Yeah. Make incredible art. Yeah, I could be, but <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> My garbage man's got a lot on his walls, so <laughs> he's, he needs a break. <laughs> uh, no, that's just joking around with it. It's, you know, honestly, because art sometimes is such a painful process that you have to laugh about it or you sit there and you'd probably commit suicide or something. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, sometimes I understand why Van Gogh cut off his ear. He says, what the hell do I have to do to sell one of these things? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's just part of, part of the amusement of, of living in the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, uh, is your, uh, is your photography, better received like in Europe than it is in America or other regions in the world? Cause you're, you're well-traveled and you're representing a lot of different galleries, but I was just curious if there's, if it's perceived differently in different parts of the world. Italy seems to like my work more than uh, almost any other country. Uh, Portugal, they like it also. Uh, I've, I haven't seen an awful lot of, action in the US. I, I've been in a number of galleries and I am in some and I'm in them, I out of them, I show in them, I'm not showing in them. But uh, it's just, it takes the ambition of a Topher <laughs> to, to be at more galleries than I'm in that don't ask me to, you know, that I go and try to say, I want to be in your gallery. I do that occasionally. And most of the time they look at me and say, I need another artist. Like I need another left leg. You know, I mean, they don't care. They don't even look at the work. And then I walk away, you know, it's okay. You know, some galleries, uh, well, I was just contacted in a couple days ago by a gallery uh, that wants to show my work and which is nice. It happens to be in Arizona nice gallery, but I wish it wasn't in Arizona. <laughs> the point of it is, is 
you know, I, I mask occasionally, but very occasionally in the United States, more so in Europe. I mean, there's galleries in Rome and in Milan and the like that are talking to me, but I have a gallery in Florence that uh, I love and they do, they do well for me. So I, I don't move too far around that. Uh, it's, you know, I'm not as, in, as in, I am in a lot of places, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, I just got in. A, I'm in another gal. I'm in two galleries now in the United Kingdom. So I guess one gallery wanted to ask if it's okay if they show my work, and I say sure. You know what the hell? <laughs> what if I got to lose? Yeah. No. Well, it's nice that these these folks are finding you and want to want to show your work. I mean, that's got to be you know reaffirming, right? As an artist, when you have people reach out to you and say, "Hey, I really love your stuff. I want to show you." That's uh, that's great. It's very nice. I, I wish more places in the United States would. Uh, wouldn't cost me as much to ship them in the browser the United <laughs> States as it does to Europe. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it, it's it's what keeps my juices flowing. You know, all of that stuff. And if there was none of it there, would I still be doing what I'm doing? Honest to God, I don't know. Probably, but you know, it's like trying to predict what you'd do in a war zone if you had to kill somebody. I mean, I don't know. You know, I can tell you what I think I'd do, but who the hell knows until it happens. Right. And luckily, it hasn't happened. So uh, it's been pretty well received from the get-go. And, you know, I go to every church I see, and I thank them for that. You know, literally. <laughs> oh, in fact, did you see the guy with the pink pants? Oh, and I did see that one, yeah. That was shown in the Vatican. Really? The name was The Pope Wears Pink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Talk about some <laughs> bizarre episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, just a, it's just kind of... It's what keeps me going, you know? Yeah. You know, you got to laugh about this stuff. It, honestly, I, I take it very seriously, but with a smile. Because, you know, you get kicked in the head just as much or more than when people pat you on the back. You just have to learn how to, you know, just have to learn how to roll with the punches. Yeah. You know, and take it while you can, while it's there. I wish it was all rosy. It isn't. I wish I could do more, uh, but honestly, I'm not quite sure how to do more. Uh, but I keep trying, you know. I think that's the key right there is just being, you know, uh, just keep plugging along, you know. And we, we've talked to so many artists that, you know, the bottom line is that your art will never resonate with everyone, but you will find your audience and it, you know, it, it'll resonate with a certain segment of the population that buys art and collects. So like, like Wes said earlier, it'll, it'll happen for sure. I mean, I love what you're doing. I really think it's, um, it's just not only is it unique, but it's, you're just doing such a phenomenal job with it as far as what you're producing, you know, it's, it's, it's over the top and it's, you know, I, I think, if you look, if you're a photographer, you look at a lot of photography, it's easy to get 
I don't know. I, I'm not going to use the, I shouldn't use the word jaded because I don't know that that's the correct word, but you know, you, you kind of just like, ah, okay. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. It's an easy word to use by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I love what you do and it, and it is so different than what it, the other stuff that I see out there. You're definitely on the right path. I uh, look forward to seeing what you continue to, to produce and, and, um, put out there well, um what you're saying to me is better than a sale <laughs> <laughs> really it, it is that's what keeps me going you know people that see so much stuff see it all jaded by some love some hate some you know can for you to say that means means the world to me you know so thank you i you're appreciate welcome. your comment how do you sell most of your, your pieces? Is it usually through the galleries that represent you or do they find you via the internet and you have online sales? How does that typically work? 99.9% .9 of everything is through the galleries. Most of my online sales were from scams who have a wife that's divorcing them and they're moving and they need me to send 10 pieces right away or they're going to lose they're, they're going to lose their marriage and it has to be a surprise and will i accept a check from god knows who and they will send me a ten thousand dollar check but i'm going to have to pay for the shipping and the shipping ends up being twelve thousand dollars or they won't pick it up you know it's such there's such scammers out there trying to buy stuff that drives you nuts, you know. And after a while, you just—I used to play with them, but now I just ignore them. <laughs> I, <don't> <laughs> I mean, there's some there's some pretty good stories out there, though. I got to tell you, <laughs> literally, if you haven't experienced any of them, uh, next time I get one, I'll shoot you shoot it to you. Okay, <laughs> fascinating. Some go on for like you know, weeks and weeks of negotiations and everything else. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow is right. I have to ask. So where, um, where does your pricing begin? Say like the limited edition prints and then what does an original Howard Harris go for? The prints are in the uh, five, $6,000 range. And if somebody wants an original and I like them, it's in the five, $6,000 range. You know, okay. I don't try to go bananas and I don't try to make, price it to a point where it's not accessible if you really want it. But essentially, that's that's where most of them are in that arena. Uh, I do commission work and some of it is ends up in that range somehow. Uh, sometimes a lot more, sometimes very seldom it's a, it's less than that but it's kind of that's sort of where i am i want to keep my stuff accessible to people yeah you know it isn't like woolworth's doing all of the lithographs that they did of the the famous paintings and putting it in their stores wanting to put art in everybody's house but i don't want my art so untouchable that you know people who really like it can't can't get up did you just come up with a formula in order to price your pieces or how'd you come up with kind of that price? 
basically, uh, I was, I looked at what it cost me and it's, it's roughly, actually, I don't know what it is now because I haven't raised my prices, but in the beginning, it was like pretty much three times or four times the cost of, of what it is. Basically, I, as a business person, I say, here's, here's my raw costs uh, and my time is worth at least what the raw costs are. And then I will, then I took that and I doubled or tripled that. That's in line with sculptors, three to four percent. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much in that arena. And then galleries, when they, when they do their cuts, uh, sometimes the prices are higher. Sometimes they're, they're the same. Kind of depends on, on what goes on. In Europe, the prices are a lot higher because they're shipping and all sorts of things involved there. And the dollar is worth a lot less than the euro. And the pound sterling, it's a little bit different also. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting working in three different currencies. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It's a little nerve-wracking because I'm not exactly sure which one it is sometimes. <laughs> but it's fun. You know, what else am I going to do? <laughs> Let's talk about shows. What, what shows do you have coming up? You, you mentioned something about a show in New York that's coming up. Yeah. There's a show coming up in Florence this month uh, where I've got six or seven pieces. Uh, There's a show in New York next month that I've got four pieces, like the Aspen Leaf is one of them. Then uh, I may be on a show in Denver uh, in December. I'm not sure yet. And then I've scheduled for another show in Florence next year. And I'm currently in a show in a museum in Northern Florence, not Northern Tuscany in that museum show. Uh, So that's where I'm at currently. Fantastic. No place locally where people can come see your stuff outside of maybe doing a studio visit or whatever. Hey, anyone can do a studio visit, but, you know, I, I used to do an awful lot of consulting. And the only good consultants were from out of town. <laughs> so nobody here likes my work. <laughs> Except, I guess, Nisa Nolth Gallery. She'll, she'll show my work along with Topher's. You know? But again, I, I'm not in any Denver gallery. Okay. I was in the Robert Anderson Gallery, if you know that name. He had a photo gallery here. He had a photo gallery in New York for a long time. And then opened a photo gallery in Denver for quite a while. But COVID got the best of that gallery. He just said, you know, why, why struggle so much? And as I, when I talk to my gallery people, I remind them, I said, you know, I'm always thinking there's one thing worse than being an artist. That's being a gallery owner. <laughs> I mean, really? So, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough, that's a tough road to all, but no, no place in Denver currently anyway. We'll have to keep uh, tabs on you. And when there is a show locally, I definitely want to come out and, and, and check it out in person. And maybe we can do a studio visit sometime in the, in the near future too. Cause I'd love to see this, all your work in in person and, and check that out. Great. Yeah. Kind of a weird 
weird view of it in my in my studio, but uh, it's here. It's a lot of it. I haven't had to buy a warehouse yet for the stuff that didn't sell, so <laughs> I'm doing okay. That's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, hey, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, kind of wrap this up for the evening, Howard? Well, I think we've kind of gone around the world, so you know. Oh, I, I know what I was going to ask you. One more question. Okay. So you're really well traveled. And um, so where are some of your favorite places in the world to travel and photograph? I photograph, actually, I photograph a lot in New Mexico. So, I mean, that's a favorite place. It's like being out. It's like not being in this country in the United States. So that's a, it's just a wonderful place to, to do a lot of photography. Uh, I've done a lot of photography in Italy. I've done a lot in Spain, a lot in Portugal. I had to cancel a trip to Greece and Turkey due to COVID uh, that I was looking forward to. But you know, honestly, my, my favorite place to photograph is where I am at the time with a camera. <laughs> uh, because, you know, what can I tell you? There's images change all the time. Things change all the time. The great thing about uh, some, some of the, the type of work that I do is, you know, something as what some people think is boring as an aspen leaf can turn into, you know, a little jewel. And if you, if you, if you have the mindset of looking beyond what you see and seeing with your mind as opposed to your eyes, it gives you a whole different perspective on the world. Walking in a, the fall walk was just just a, 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 a little mountain hike we took, you know, it wasn't any magnificent trail. It wasn't any, you know, great thing, but whammo, you know, I just saw more than a rock and more than a tree, you know, it's that kind of thing, but you have to be there. And one thing I, I've, I've learned is if you don't show up, you don't take the shot. And wherever I seem to be, I try to take the shot. Sometimes I don't take a camera. One of the reasons I want to go mirrorless is it's a lot lighter. And I ain't getting any younger. <laughs> it suckers heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what can I tell you? I just I just love love imagery. Uh, one of the images that you might not, not or ever noticed was taken as a reflection uh, on a window in an outhouse in Paris, you know? So, I mean, beauty's everywhere. You just have to look for it. That's kind of where, where, where I'm at. Helps to be smoking a little while you do it, but (laughs) (laughs) beauty's everywhere. (laughs) I already see what my problem is. I'm not smoking enough. That's my problem. Because I would love to uh, take a hike with you just to, uh, to, just to, you know, to see what you're seeing. Like, cause sometimes, you know, I think that's a problem with a lot of photographers or I'll, I'll say a lot of times problem with me is I don't, I don't see it. And so it's always nice to have a couple people, you know, you're shooting with just uh, like, Oh, what did you see in that? And uh, so that's always fun. You would be a hoot to go out with. Well, it's interesting, but 
like the guy who shot the falling man coming out of the tower, you know, I'd say at least half the time, sometimes I come back and I say, holy crap, I actually saw that, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, I'd rather be lucky than smart. And <laughs> I will trade smarts in for luck any day of the world, <laughs> any time. <laughs> but again, if you're not looking, you won't see. That's as simple as that. And yeah. a lot of photographers, I'm sorry to say, really don't look that hard. They just see. Yeah. Um, and if you if you want to help people see what you see, you have to go beyond what they also see. Because everyone, every point of view is different. And everybody brings different experiences to their point of view. And that's kind of the challenge of of photography. How can you make that, at least my photography, how can you make somebody or help somebody see what you see, such as the reflection in the outhouse window? I'll send you that one if you really want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Howard, thank you so much for spending as much time as you did with us this evening. We really appreciate it. You know, I say this all the time. Time is the most precious thing that that we have. So the fact that you are willing to to spend a few hours with us, that, that means the world to us. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for your kind comments and not beating me up with questions that I don't have a clue how to answer. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> And have a great evening. And I look forward to seeing what you come up with. Yeah. Really. It'll be interesting. My, um, wife, my wife will be even more interested. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, for our listeners, uh, check out Howard's website. It's hharrisphoto.com. And for the Tenant Podcast, I'm Todd Pearson. And I'm Wes Brown. Have, have a great, great week. week.